God, each of us has much for which to give thanks, much for which we're grateful, uh, much that we have received from you that we forget to say thank you for, uh, for which we could be uh, grateful. Bring those things to mind. Make us, shape us, mold us, uh, not just in November, not just around this holiday, but daily uh, through every part of our lives. Make us into grateful people for the abundance of your goodness to us. Truly you have been, truly you are. As we open your word, we thank you for it. Uh, We thank you that you have given to us truth and life through it. Uh, Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that are good fertile soil to receive your word. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way from your word, may they be quickly forgotten. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. For the past uh, 10 years or so, the stated mission of First Presbyterian Church San Mateo has been to honor God by helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. I know you know that. Let's say that together. The mission of First Presbyterian Church San Mateo is to honor God by helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Good. And what does that look like? For starters, it requires knowing what it means to follow Jesus. And then second, it means knowing what it means to be fully devoted in that. And then third, it means knowing but actually becoming a follower of Jesus. And then along that way, also a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And then somewhere along that path or that process, helping other people to come to follow Jesus, and then helping people to continually grow in following Jesus. Let's say that together. Helping people to grow continually in following Jesus. And we agree that we are to seek to do this not because someone says that we have to or in order to earn God's approval or to be good people or to be loved by God, but rather simply because following Jesus And helping other people to follow Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, brings honor to God. People earnestly and genuinely following Jesus brings honor to God. So let's say that together. This brings honor to God. Yes. God is honored when people... Follow his son into his kingdom, which is coming as people follow Jesus, who is the king. And this is what we will see in the scriptures this morning uh, as we continue through our study of the gospel of Mark. If you're new with us this morning or if you're like me and your memory regularly needs a little nudge along the way, Mark begins his gospel like this, a little review. Not with Mary and Joseph, not with shepherds or wise men, not with an angel singing glory to God to the highest, but Mark begins his gospel with the man, John the Baptist, preaching in the, in the wilderness or the desert a message of repentance and baptizing people in repentance and for repentance. Jesus shows up, led by God, out to the desert, saying to John the Baptist, baptize me. John is hesitant. John relents. John baptizes Jesus. And when he does, Jesus sees what appears to be a dove down from the heavens, resting upon him, and a voice from heaven that says, this is my son whom I love. 
with whom I am well pleased. With you I am well pleased. And that spirit, same spirit who came down from the heavens, now leads Jesus off into another wilderness where he's tempted by the evil one for about 40 days. Having conquered that trial or that test of temptation, Jesus launches out and begins his public ministry preaching himself repentance for the kingdom of heaven is near the kingdom of God has come near it is available to you turn now here it comes and then Jesus begins to interact with individuals he sees Peter and Andrew along the shore of the sea of Galilee and he says to them follow me as a rabbi would say to people come after me follow me learn from me go my way then also Peter or James and John who also were fishermen Jesus begins his public ministry in a synagogue in Capernaum where he preaches with authority, you remember. And he casts out a demon that surfaces, casting out that demon with authority. And this leads to more and more and more healing, casting out of demons, prayer, and public ministry. Eventually, two weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus not only heals but also forgives, showing the importance of forgiveness over all that he was doing the importance of people being forgiven by God and he gives one instance of that in a public teaching and then he goes on and we looked at it last week to talk about who God forgives about specifically the kinds of people God forgives and we talked about Levi the tax collector and all sort of the dirt in his life and how Jesus not only preached with authority and cast out demons with authority and healed with authority, but he also forgave with authority in a way that led to transformation in people's lives. So uh, we're going to pick up the story again and actually review and look a little bit more at that passage that we talked about last week from Luke chapter 2, or Mark chapter 2 rather, uh, beginning at verse 13. Listen again as I read. This is the word of God. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many tax collectors and sinners who followed Jesus. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw Jesus eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And the scribes of the Pharisees, or the teachers of the law, or the religious among the religious, were scandalized. This is the scandal of Jesus. This is the scandal of grace. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, thinking that they were doing, teaching, and enforcing exactly what their scriptures guided them to do and teach and enforce, insisted that cleanliness is next to godliness. That godliness is exemplified in moral and ceremonial and physical cleanliness. And that proximity or being near with or in any form of a relationship with or to tax collectors 
or sinners. Effectively disqualified a person from being in good standing with God. And yet Jesus, whom Mark puts forward as Messiah and Son of God, and yet Jesus does exactly what no self-respecting teacher, rabbi, leader, scribe in that day would do. Jesus called one of these lowlifes to follow him, to be with him, to join his school, to apprentice with him, learn from him, eat with him, dine with him, become like him. And so the teachers of the law said of Jesus with scorn and derision, he is a friend of sinners. Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They could think of no greater insult for him and about him. And we talked last Sunday morning how Levi sitting in his tax booth along a fairly busy highway doing his job wasn't just an ordinary person, but rather was despised by his fellow Jews, not only as unclean, but as a wretched being who had sold his soul to the Romans for money. And Jesus calls. And that's the scandal of grace. Manifest in Jesus that we talked about last Sunday, the kingdom of God and also the community of God in Christ. In other words, the church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. It is. We are a community of vastly imperfect people who don't have it all together. And so we should always welcome with open arms those whom our world and the religious establishment has pushed to the fringes condemned as forever unworthy. Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This was his scandal. And Jesus called Levi. And if Jesus called Levi, Jesus can call you and me based on no merit of our own, no goodness of our own, no great thing we've done, no holiness or righteousness, no things that I have said, no things that I have done that were good, holy, righteous, pure, upright. And so we should never think that we come to God on the basis of who we are, how we are, what we've done, who we've become. It doesn't work that way. If I believe that God loves me or that Jesus calls me because of some merit of my own, I am the one who is completely deceived. I've missed the boat. The church is not for people who know that they are good, but for people who know how bad they are. God loves us just as we are and not as we should be because we will never be as we should be. God loves us just as we are and not as we should be because we will never be as we should be. Clearly, God's not a fan of sin. All sin is an offense and an affront to God. But God loves sinners relentlessly, passionately, persistently, wholeheartedly, even those who are by their society's measure, the dregs of society. And maybe especially those people. And enough to give up his only begotten son in order to reconcile those people to himself. That is how passionate God is. This is the heart of the gospel. Jesus loves sinners. And Jesus called the despicable Levi to go with Jesus, follow Jesus, go with him, live with him, live like him, walk in his way. To follow a person, to follow a rabbi or a teacher meant to embark on learning how to live one's life as one's 
teacher would live it. Not to live the teacher's life, but to live one's own life as if one's teacher was in one's shoes. And to the shock and the great dismay of the scribes of the Pharisees, the most religious people around, Jesus said to the disgraceful and disgraced tax collector, Levi, follow me. Follow me. And in some ways, that's as far as we got last Sunday morning as we were looking at that passage. But there's a lot more. You know, we talked about it last week, you know that collecting taxes in Jesus' day is nothing like working for the IRS today. Collecting taxes for Rome is very different, viewed very differently than collecting taxes for the U.S. or state or county or local government today. Anyone who was Jewish, who was collecting taxes for Rome, had, as I said at the beginning, sold their souls. To Rome, they'd sold their souls to the devil as far as Jews were concerned. They had sold their souls for money. Of course, we all like money. Money's great. Money can uh, do great things, bring great things, afford us great things. God can use us as we give generously. Money's not a, a bad thing in and of itself. The Romans were a foreign, occupying, and sometimes oppressive government. They were idolaters, hated by the Jews, Gentiles, and so unclean. And to these folks, Levi and other tax collectors had sold their good Jewish souls for the sake of extorting money from their fellow Jews. Tax collection in that day was a racket. We may feel like it's a racket today. It's not. But it was then. That's the way it worked. It was like the mob or the Palestinian mafia. The Romans collected property taxes and income taxes on their own themselves. But travel taxes, transport taxes, along the road taxes, they outsourced to others. It sort of worked like franchises. The Romans would offer to the highest bidder a particular post or booth or location along a road or a highway. The highest bidder would get that post indefinitely. So it took a good amount of money in the first place to get a tax collector post position booth. Whoever the highest bidder was got it. It involved upfront costs, but once those upfront costs were paid out, a tax collecting booth was a pretty lucrative deal. It could be. The way it worked was a tax collector had so much money that he or she had to collect over the course of a day or a week or a month to give a baseline amount back to the Roman government. But all that he could collect after that was profit. All that he collected over and above that set amount went into his own pockets. And so tax collectors, as you might imagine, did very, very, very well, especially if they were sharp, crass, greedy, ambitious, which Levi was. Levi had a very large house. He no doubt ate very well, dressed very well, lived very well, very well. He certainly had two luxury donkeys in his garage. A tax collection booth was a cash cow offering a robust income for one's life it provided incredible security. And then along came Jesus. Follow me. 
in his tight economy of words in Mark's gospel, simply and just follow me. I remember uh, in reading the journals of Jim Elliott, uh, something that he would pray over and over as a young man. He often prayed, Lord, let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. And Levi is at that fork. In a moment, he is at that fork in his road of life. And Mark tells us that Levi, quote, got up, And follow Jesus. And in Luke's slightly more detailed version of this account in chapter 5 of Luke's gospel, we read that Levi left everything and followed Jesus. He left everything. He said goodbye to everything for good. Now, when in chapter 1, the fishermen Peter and Andrew and then James and John left their nets and followed Jesus, they could have always gone back to their nets. Their boats were not going anywhere. The fish were not going anywhere. They were stuck in the lake. The fish wouldn't care later if they had gone off and followed Jesus, changed their mind, and come back. The fish wouldn't know any different. But if you had a tax booth franchise and you walked away... The vultures were lurking. There were plenty of questionable characters who were waiting to jump in at the slightest hint of an opening and to take over that booth, to take your booth from you, to offer to the Roman government an amount of money that would secure for them the booth that had been yours and provide for them this monetary security. And so when Luke says that Levi left everything, He really meant that Levi was leaving everything. Without an explanation, Levi abandons everything for which, for him, had always been everything. Levi was a man of the world. He didn't care about his place in society. He didn't care about his reputation, about his friendships, his relationships with his family. He didn't care about prestige or honor or respect. He didn't care about character. All he cared about was money. Tax collectors were typically a greedy bunch. He would live any way he wanted to live. He was content with hanging out with the scum of the earth, the tax collectors and sinners. He had everything he wanted. Money. And then Levi walks away. He walks away from all of it. The wealth, the money, the abundance, the security, all of it. He leaves it on the table, presumably because he had encountered Jesus in such a way. He had encountered a person who spoke truth, who offered life, who loved him probably, you can imagine, like no one had loved him since he was a boy. A person in whom the fullness of God dwelt. He had certainly heard about Jesus around Capernaum. Large crowds were coming out anytime Jesus went out. Levi lived in a public place. He was a public figure, a high-profile person. He certainly knew about Jesus. He had heard Jesus teach, preach, speak. He had probably seen Jesus cast out, heal, love. And so like the explorer Hernan Cortez in the year 1519, Levi burned the ships. He got up 
walked away from his tax collector booth and left everything. Levi was, as we've said around here at this time of year before, all in, fully committed. I have a friend named Dale, and uh, he was working for IBM as a computer programmer, making what he described then as very good money, putting his MBA to work. And then God called him to begin to help out at his church a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, so much as it went along that he no longer had time to go to work. First, he deprived himself of sleep, but he couldn't do that any longer, and so he just quit his job and quit his income because Jesus said to him, follow me, follow me, follow me. He had a house in a nice neighborhood. He could no longer pay the mortgage for. It was repossessed. He had a car, a nice car, that he could no longer pay for because he was following Jesus. It was repossessed. God provided for him all along the way, but he came to this fork in the road of his life where Jesus said, follow me. And it doesn't always mean, a, mean losing one's house or losing one's income or losing one's means of surviving physically. But for Dale, that's what follow me meant at that time and that season in his life. This doesn't mean that Levi became poor, and not all of us are called to be poor. But he may have lost his big house in following Jesus. Jim Elliott said, again, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. This is Jim Elliott who at the age of 28 Follow God's call to him when Jesus said, follow me, to go and be a missionary, to take the gospel to the Huarani people of the Aka Indians in Ecuador. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. That was Levi's story. And in our minds, and back in Sunday school, Levi just gets up and it's a happy band or parade of people who are following Jesus, but we miss the point that Levi really left everything, taking all that he considered to be important and leaving it behind. All that he valued and leaving it behind. Everything that he got his security in and from and leaving it behind, not knowing what was ahead, but trusting God in Christ, going, following, living, being. Presumably, he had some sort of transforming moment. We don't all, not all of us have had such a transforming moment. But God is calling us in different ways, he has and he will, to continue to live in God's incredible love for us. A love that is transformative, a love that sees who we are, what we've done, where we've been, and still loves us radically. 
we may think of ourselves according to our failures. We may think of ourselves according to our shortcomings. God looks at us and sees us through Jesus as dearly, dearly loved. Calling us, not because we are good, but because we are loved, to follow him into the life of his kingdom. Every one of us are at a different place. Every one of us have different amounts of money. We put our security and our hope in different things in different ways and to different degrees. And to all of us, Jesus says, follow me, which is a leaving it behind or letting go of it as our security at a minimum in order that we might be free to follow him. That may be a scary venture for some of us, for all, for me, for you. But it is that to which Jesus calls us. Our mission statement is to honor God by helping people, starting with ourselves, to follow Jesus, which is the first thing he asks and invites us to and calls us. And then to grow step by step, baby steps in faith into fully devoted followers of Jesus. Not in order to earn his favor, but because we've already received it. Sometimes that involves money. Sometimes that involves possessions. Sometimes that involves jobs. Sometimes that involves vocations. Sometimes that means letting go of something that is an affront to God and sinful that we like or are connected to. And sometimes we think the cost is too great. Jesus tells a little story about a treasure in a field that someone discovers, and then they go and get everything they have, sell it, so they can buy this field because this thing, treasure in the field, is so worthwhile. Small, but a treasure that will last forever. Jesus tells a little parable about a pearl that is incredibly valuable, that a person is willing to sell everything they have in order to obtain. Levi's willing to let go of all of this stuff in joy, not because he has to, not because he's guilted into it, but because he sees a better way and has come into contact, into relationship with the author of life itself and the owner of heaven. Edith Peters is a, a, was a missionary that this church uh, helped send out and was uh, supportive of for 50 years. She passed away in August. Uh, and some of the last things that she wrote that were shared with us by uh, her mission agency and some of the ways that she will be remembered were for saying, Yes, I've given 50 years to the mission field, 50 years to these people, my whole adult life. But I really gave nothing. I certainly gave up nothing. It was all worth it. I think that's the perspective of Levi. He had a lot to give up when Jesus said, follow me. But as Mark tells the story, there's no question in his mind, there's no doubt, and there's no fear that Mark tells us about. And he follows him. What happens to Levi? 
What's the end of the story? Well, Levi, the name Levi never shows up in the gospel accounts where all of the missionary or all of the apostles of Jesus are mentioned. Those lists of the 12 apostles never, never list Levi. But they do, interestingly, list a guy named Matthew. And when we read this same account over in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew, who's writing, doesn't use the name Levi, but uses the name Matthew. And so we know that Levi became Matthew, became a follower of Jesus, became a central part of the core of Jesus' community, became an author of a gospel about Jesus. Because one day Jesus said, follow me, and he got up and left got up and went. Is there anything that we need to get up and walk away from today? Are there things in our lives that Jesus is saying, follow me, leave behind, leave it all behind? You can, we can. And as such, we may be called. And if we are, there will be joy in that. There may be some fear. There may be some uncertainty. But the story of Levi promises us that there is life and abundance and joy and use by God in that. We can trust him when he says follow. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the ways that you loved Levi and people like Levi and people like us. We know that you continue to call and invite and draw and awaken and invite into your kingdom and into a life that is blessed, that is full, that is robust, that is full of joy, that has meaning. We know you invite us into parties and celebrations and feasts. Help us when we hear your voice once in our lives, every day in our lives, to go, to walk your way, to follow, to trust, to have the courage, have the strength by your grace to get up and go. We know you lead us into good places and good things. We know you're a loving Father. We praise you and we love you in Jesus. Amen.